In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we have what I want to focus on in the Gospel reading. Is the, word, is the description, rather, not quite just the words of our Savior, but the description of the evangelist Matthew of our Lord's reaction to the centurion. And St. Matthew describes it this way, When Jesus heard him, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. That our Lord marveled at anything should be a shock to us. He's the one who made everything. He's the one who gave all things its purpose and its meaning. And no one knows it better than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For God knows every hair on your head. He knows you as you were knitted in your mother's womb. So to say that Jesus marveled at something, that should catch our attention and focus deeply upon that description. And that's what I want to walk with you today through. How is it that Jesus is marveling? What is he marveling at? I would like to say that what Jesus is marveling at is the great humility that is tied also to the great authority that the centurion is demonstrating. We can miss the importance of the centurion's words and see them simply as a boast. I give a command and it happens. But we miss the fact that it's actually the centurion himself that is before what, to the eyes of the world, is just some Jewish teacher. To the eyes of the world and to Roman eyes especially, the centurion is far above Jesus in power and authority within the Roman Empire. So the fact that it is the centurion that has come to Jesus' feet and to make a request himself with his own mouth that is the great humility that the centurion is demonstrating. And part of what I want to say this morning, that Jesus is marveling at for our sake. It was out of humility that the centurion actually ends up rejecting Jesus' offer to travel to the centurion's house. He says, you don't need to go through that extra effort to walk to my house. I know that you can simply say a word because you are the one who actually has the greatest authority. That simply by a word spoken from our Lord and Savior, our Master's mouth, that the servant would be healed. And that is all important as well. Who is it that the centurion is asking our Lord to heal? In the Gospel of Matthew, this person, this what we translate as servant, is the word paith. And in the parallel with the Gospel of Luke, it is the word doulos. The first is a little more specific than the second. Paith means 
It's a boy, a child, a girl who is a slave or a servant. So we're talking about the lowest of low in Roman society. Not just a slave, not just a servant, but a child. And in, to the Roman eyes and to the Roman ethos, children meant very little unless you were born into a great family. We must remember that these are the people who were known for exposing their young, meaning leaving them to survive when they could not survive out in the wilderness, abandoning their children. This is what it was to a Roman. This is what a child was to a Roman, and even more so to a slave child. And the centurion has come to request of Christ that he heal that kind of person in Roman eyes. So we have one who has many, many soldiers, a degree of power and land under himself, just a small degree compared to our Lord, who is the ruler of the universe. But there is a demonstration. This is what Christ is marveling at. A man of high-born status, and maybe he earned some of it, to someone who has earned nothing, has nothing to their name. He has traveled on his own two feet to come to Jesus, to the divine physician himself, to request that word of healing on Christ's behalf. So his words are not words of boast, but they do demonstrate a truth, that one who has true authority, one who has true power, can simply say a word, and it is so. There is a further demonstration here of the centurion that is directly relevant for our life as Christians. And it is the fact that what he is demonstrating for us is how intercessory prayer actually works. He has gone himself to the master. The child, I'm sure, was offering some sort of hope and some sort of prayer for him or herself, this little slave child. But one who loved that child dearly, truly loved, for he went out of his way. He didn't just send one of his other servants to do it, but one who was under his authority, under his protection. That centurion went to Christ, and he gave his own word in addition, asking for the word of the one who actually had the true power to heal this child. This is how intercessory prayer works. So often we think we can make the mistake. I'll just pray directly to Christ myself, and that will be enough. No one else has to know. No one else has to pray. And this really is our own pride getting in the way of the faith that is given to us. We need one another. We need those who are above and those who are below us those who are equal with us as well. For what the centurion is giving to us to contemplate an Im is nothing other than the image of how the family of God works, how we relate to one another. The centurion bypasses all of the ways of the world, all of the things that we would expect him to do, either not care, or not care enough to go out of his own way, of his own routine, for the sake of the lowly. 
This is the faith that our Lord is crediting to the centurion. It is the faith that even has him ask not more of God, but simply what was necessary from the one who had that power to heal that poor slave child. And it is this belief that our Lord praises in the centurion. This act of love, this act of kindness, he calls its faith. Archimandrite Vasilios of Everon, a monastery, uh, and a wonderful writer, has this book with this pretty awesome title called The Thunderbolt of Ever-Living Fire. And in it, he has this quote. You would not think you'd find a quote in, in a book like this, but it's all about how our Lord overturns the ways of the world and its authority. The way we think that power works does not work this way for a Christian. Does not work this way even really for those in the world. Because all those things come to nothing in the end. This is what I want to read from Archimandrite Vasilios. Man finds comfort not when he is conscripted into a certain group to march against others, but when he is joined with everyone on behalf of everyone. When one is enlisted with him, that's the one who is going to give comfort, one who is on behalf of everyone. When one is enlisted with him, who was crucified in order to save his friends, then everyone becomes his friends, even those who crucify him. For ultimately what our Lord is marveling at is in the centurion's own small way, the copying of what our Lord had come to earth to do. We are that little pais, that little slave child. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. We had no worldly power, no means for our own salvation. Just like the centurion interceded on the behalf of the little child, our Lord came from his home to earth, became a man for our sake, so that the word himself, not just the word that the centurion is asking for from the Son of God, but that the Son of God himself, the Word, the Logos of God, the one who created all things, comes of himself for us little slave children. So this is what the Lord is marveling at. Not among his own people is one able to grasp this in the very experiential and tangible way, but it's a centurion, a Roman, the one who has all his culture working against him, who grasps this reality. Maybe he doesn't grasp it with his rational mind, but that's not actually as important as grasping it with the demonstration in his life, with the experience of his actions in his life. So the words of the, centu of the centurion to Christ today cause our Lord to be in amazement, to declare that this man, under the power of pagan, and we could say even blasphemous Roman imperial decrees. For the Roman emperor, we must always remember, saw himself as the highest god. Has understood the nature of authority and how the Lord of all things desires those 
given some sphere of authority to which they are responsible are to use it. Christ marvels because this man has apprehended the profound truth of spiritual power through his actions and also his words. So what is it that we can take home and turn over and demonstrate in our life? It is that love is the only motivation for true and real authority. And only love can come when it is tied with humility. It also is in humility that obedience can be born. And I mean that in both senses. Born as the sense of generation in you, but born also in carrying its load. Love, humility, and obedience are tied together and really are the foundation of authority and of obedience. For remember, we can bear that load because our Lord says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he is the one who loves us. He is the one who took the humble path. And he's also the one who has the greatest authority, the greatest power, and asks that we be obedient to him out of that love. For he knows what is best, for he knitted us in our mother's womb. And he knows us more than we know ourselves. This, my friends, is the beating heart of God's church. Of its, even of its hierarchy, even of its sacramental rigor and structures and rites, it is faith, humility, and love that are the foundation for the power, the authority, and the obedience that's asked of us within the confines, within the boundaries, within the family of the church. Because our hierarchy is about fatherhood. And the words of a father are founded on a faith such as this. That's what our Lord praises the centurion with. A faith such as this will always bring healing. And my brothers and sisters, today we are given this glimpse into the radicalness of the way that the church as Christ's body on earth works. The church as the body of Christ is a continuation of the incarnation of the Lord for us which turns all the worldly and godless and pagan understandings on its head. Yet it does not annihilate hierarchy. It does not say that there is not power, there is not authority. But it turns those things and the means of which they have true power, true authority on its head. Where violence and threat undergird power and authority as some blind command Obedience as discipline, here in the mysterious ways of God, we have humility and love as the unshakable ground. The source, we could say, upon which holy authority and holy obedience are acts of love for the sake of the healing of the other. A man far above us children who are paralyzed and in agony, as this gospel described, this slave child, one who is paralyzed and in agony, came before the divine physician and knowing this one is not bound in any way intercedes for that child, asking only for the Lord to say the word, knowing that that word, with that word, healing arrives. This is the image 
of the gospel reading that is shining before us. Each of us must go down that path and become like the centurion because the centurion is acting exactly like Christ who left his heavenly home and came to us out of his way. He went out of his way to accomplish the healing of us who are fallen and bound in sickness and death and sin. We have our own paralysis and agony through these things. We must also care for those who are under us with humility and love, not by implicit threat. Only then does God marvel at our faith as he marveled at the centurions and recognize and then grants true authority and enlivens true and healing obedience. That is the mystery that is presented to us today. This is why we hear more often in the church the language of family. Because family is, the, is best when there is love and it is the best image of what it is like to be a Christian and the relationship that we have to our Heavenly Father. We have brothers and sisters. We have a mother and a father. We have those who are guiding and helping us to grow in maturity when we are children and advising us when we get older. When we are brought before our ultimate Father, from whom all of our authorities, all of our roles derive, when those things are accomplished in acts of love and a desire to join Him, then we begin to know this kind of holy authority and holy obedience with which Christ is marveling as He proclaims the means of joining, what does He say? to the table of heaven, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are sitting. That's the table from which we join. So today, whether you are a father or a mother, or we could say a bishop, a priest, a deacon, a ministry leader, or just a simple servant, we, in comparison to the Father, sitting on the throne on high, are just sick servant children. We need acts of love and humility for our healing. But we can also become and are called to become like the centurion to whom Jesus Christ gave this word. We can imitate Christ and make the same journey and re-found, relay the foundation ourselves in those prototypical virtues of God himself, humility and love. From them, holiness and healing flow forth. So may our great God and Savior Jesus Christ vouchsafe each of us to find healing in him by the intercessions of the saints and in the emptying of all power and authority, even of our own obedience for the sake of love, just as Christ has done for us and for our salvation. Then those two marvels of our Lord's words, of Jesus Christ's words spoken before the centurion, will be spoken over each and every one of you. Go, be it done for you as you have believed, and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That is where our salvation and our healing lie. When we take up the cross of humility and the cross of love for the sake of those around us, no matter where or who they are, then we'll have these two things that it be done as you believe and sit at the table with the heavenly family 
And may this day come for all of us quickly and soon, and may we experience and a taste of it even now. Amen.